are now tuned in to Spooky Club, a podcast dedicated to exploring all things spooky. So sit back and relax if you can as we take a dive into the eerie world of the not-so-normal for your listening pleasure. We hope you stick around. morning, good afternoon, good night, or whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this podcast. So you're all very welcome to episode one of Spooky Club, a brand new podcast catering to those amongst us, obviously myself included, who enjoy the spooky things in life. So a lot of you may be asking, what exactly does spooky mean? And it's a, it's a good question. So by spooky, right off the mark, we're talking about magic witches, Halloween specifically. Horror stories, spooky historical events, ghosts, and all that jazz. So anything really that falls under the category of spooky, we'll hopefully be um, having a look into it and exploring it on each episode of the the podcast. I really hope you find home here with other like-minded individuals as we go on this adventure together. Um, Hopefully it's a place where you can sort of listen and enjoy the sort of topics at hand without feeling as if you're a weirdo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah hopefully you stick around if you've made it this far unfortunately you're now officially a member of the spooky club so there you go i don't make the rules but hopefully you do stay so for those who don't know me or this mad accent which is hopefully everybody listening right now because nobody knows that i do this so if anybody does know me um hello you shouldn't <laughs> but seeing as we'll be spending quite a bit of time together um, hopefully on this episode and others I'll introduce myself fairly quickly, just before we get stuck in then to the episode itself. So firstly, my name is Stephen. I'm the host of Spooky Club. So why Spooky Club, you ask? Well, truthfully, I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while. Um, I've been listening to, to quite a few different podcasts over the last few years. Not really spooky specifically, but the ones that I did come across that were spooky related. They didn't really sort of discuss the topics the way that I wanted to or look at them the way that I that I sort of wanted to as well so I thought maybe just to to start my own one just to to try it out and see how far we go and if anybody likes it and we'll we'll keep it going so just a a little about me so I recall um, growing up as a kid in in Ireland always having this sort of weird connection to certain times of the year Um, the the biggest main event would have been Halloween and I I still don't know why I feel drawn to Halloween as, as much as I do but I can't explain it I really look forward to Halloween more than Christmas, truthfully, every single year. And it's just maybe the whole, just the night feels a bit electrifying. So the atmosphere and the the whole event and yeah, it's just, I can't really describe why, but, but there we go. So my parents would go nuts with Halloween decorations every single year. So it was a massive event in our family. My mom specifically would, would make sure that everybody got into some sort of spooky spirit. So I like to think I've carried that on myself in my own home sort of in later years and Honestly, Halloween's a, a year-round thing for me. It's it's not specifically just one time of the year, but I think Halloween's more of a, a personality more than anything else. So my love of all things weird and spooky really started as a kid and probably has culminated in, in this podcast, which is where we'll talk about things that you probably feel like you can't talk to your friends about because they'll think you're weird. <laughs> 
So the aim of this club really is, is extremely simple. We take a spooky topic or a theme each week, talk about it, and that's pretty much it. So for the most part, it'll just be me speaking to yourselves. So hopefully you're relaxed and comfortable as we as we explore the, the first topic, which is the Salem Witch Trials of the 1600s in colonial America. Bit of a grim period of time for American history in which 20 people were essentially put to death um, based on hearsay evidence and a conviction that they were either a witch um, or a wizard. Now, in one case um, of a male, he was pressed to death essentially, um, so he was never actually fully convicted. He just refused to plea, um, refused to enter in a plea, and was therefore pressed to death. So he is factored into the, the death toll, but he was never actually convicted. So it's quite an interesting topic. Um, spoiler alert, there are no actual witches or wizards in any part of this, so it's a bit less spooky than the, the sort of next sort of topics that we'll cover in, in later episodes, but it's quite an interesting thing to read. Now, being from Ireland, it's not something that we're taught in school, and it's it's not something that you learn. It's something that I've had to research, but so I'm not quite sure if it's if it's taught in American schools. If it is, this is probably more of a, a rehash of what you've been taught in school, truth be told, but it's quite a it's quite a strange time. But without further ado, let's get into the, the Salem Witch Trials. Enjoy. So before we dive into the world of the witch trials there in Salem, I want to give a bit of context into what was happening before the witch trials took place. So in colonial America during the 1600s, the belief in the supernatural, mainly witchcraft, wasn't new. In fact, this belief and subsequent witch hunting practices were prevalent in Europe during the 14th century, where thousands of people were put to death. So some of the biggest witch trials in Europe took place in Germany. The publication of the treatise Malleus Maleficarum, which in itself sounds like a bit of a spell, truthfully, it translates to the Hammer of Witches. Um, it was published during the 1400s and it helped the mania go viral across Europe that witches existed. It detailed the process for conducting witch trials um, for those accused, but it was broken up into three different parts. The first part was dedicated to proving that witches existed. The second part discussed cases of witchcraft. And the third advised judges on how to conduct witchcraft trials. To give you an example of just how bizarre the treatise was, it recommended that the accused walk into the courtroom backwards during the trial so as not to bewitch the judge. The treatise labelled witchcraft as heresy and became the go-to guide used to eradicate witches from society. So we could spend quite a bit of time going through the spread of witchcraft in Europe, but truthfully, we'd be here all day. The purpose of this was just to give you an idea that what eventually happened in Salem was not new. It had existed in the world prior to this and with the spread of people moving from Europe to essentially the North American continent, it's no surprise that the idea travelled with it. With that being said, what happened in Salem was nowhere near on the scale of what happened on the continent of Europe. But what happened to the people accused in Salem cannot be understated. 20 innocent people were put to death on the belief that they were witches. For those who don't know, Salem was settled in the early 1600s by Puritans, a group of English Protestants. It was divided into two different parts, Salem Town and Salem Village. The former was more prosperous than the latter. This economic divide, coupled with the divide between various families in both areas, caused disputes and squabbles and created an unsettling atmosphere 
in Salem itself. Samuel Paris, a merchant from Boston, became pastor of Salem Village's Congregational Church. His orthodox Puritan beliefs allegedly caused friction within the population of Salem Village. It would be Paris's daughter, Betty, who would make the first accusation of witchcraft in Salem. It's important to note that life in Salem was evidently tough, with a population already frightful of battles between Native Americans and French settlers. Diseases were commonplace and relations with neighbours became fried. Amidst this backdrop, poverty and disease, coupled with neighbourly disputes, created a breeding ground for what would eventually become the Salem Witch Trials. In 1692, two cousins, Betty Paris, aged 9, and Abigail Williams, aged 11, became ill. They began exhibiting bizarre behaviour, during which they would convulse, claim to see spirits, and fall into fits. They also claimed that they were being pricked with pins. Unable to find anything physically wrong with the two girls, a physician concluded that the girls had been bewitched. Soon a wave of hysteria swept over Salem, with scores of other girls in Salem Village exhibiting similar symptoms. Four of the girls, who were believed to have been bewitched, accused three women in the village of witchcraft. Those three women, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, who was suing the family of one of her accusers at the time, and Tichibu, an enslaved woman in Betty Paris's home, were arrested on February 29th on suspicion of being witches. Interestingly enough, all three women were marginalised members of the community, with Good and Osborne seldom attending church. Those accused of witchcraft were brought before a special court in Salem, which would hear their cases. This would rule on witchcraft cases for Suffolk, Essex and Middlesex counties. The trials became a complete spectacle and the stage in which one of the biggest miscarriages of justice would play out. Tichibu denied practicing witchcraft at first, but then confessed to being a servant of the devil and accused Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne of having forced her. Osborne and Good maintained they were innocent. Osborne would later die in prison, while Sarah Good's family would later testify against her in court. The first woman to be executed in Salem after being accused of witchcraft was Bridget Bishop. She was hanged in what became known as Gallows Hill in Salem Village. As we know, the Salem witch trials were a bizarre spectacle. Upon seeing the accused in court, the alleged victim's symptoms would suddenly flare up as they began to fall into fits and roll back and forward. Tichibu was remanded in custody until May before eventually being released. However, other accusations against other women and men began to follow, with accusers claiming to have been attacked by the spectres of the accused. Like Tichibu, the accused would make false confessions and false accusations to save themselves. By spring 1693, over 100 people had been imprisoned. 14 women and 5 men were convicted and sentenced to death. Accusations began to spread further. The wife of the governor of Massachusetts Colony was eventually accused of witchcraft, leading the governor to suspend trials and release those in prison. Unlike today's criminal justice system, where concrete evidence is needed for conviction, the courts would allow spectral evidence, which in essence is testimony from the victim that they had been attacked by the spectre of the accused. Outside of the justice system, self-proclaimed witch hunters would use various tests to identify witches. While some of these tests may have been used in Salem, others may not have been, 
but it is good to get a look at them as part of some wider context. One of those methods involved looking for what was called the devil's mark. So if the accused had a birthmark or an unusual marking on their skin, this was taken to be confirmation that they had in fact agreed a pact with the devil. Some other unusual tests would include the swimming test, where the accused fingers were tied to the opposite toe and they were lowered into water. If they floated, they were a witch. If they didn't, they weren't. The difficulty is, of course, is the risk of drowning if they weren't. The other way was to use a witch cake. This involved making a cake out of rye flour. The victim's urine would then be added to the mix, which would then be fed to a dog. Dogs were believed to be familiars, or animal helpers of witches. It was believed that the urine of the victim would enchant the dog, who would then reveal the name of the witch. Another type of test was what was called the touch test. So while the afflicted person was having a fit, the accused would then be asked to touch them. If the symptoms came to a halt, the accused was a witch. Owing to Puritan beliefs that the accused would be punished by God, those who confessed and named other witches would escape death. Those, however, who protested their innocence found themselves with no counsel during their trial and were condemned based on hearsay evidence. Those in the community who objected to the trials remained silent for fear of being accused of witchcraft. Contrary to popular belief, the mode of execution for a convicted witch was not being burned at the stake, but by hanging. By the end of the trials in 1693, 19 people had been put to death following a successful conviction. One further person, a man by the name of Giles Corey, died as a result of pressing. Corey had refused to enter a plea after being accused of practicing witchcraft himself. His wife, whom he had defended earlier, had been hanged for witchcraft. Those who refused to enter a plea couldn't be tried, so to avoid people from escaping justice, they were subject to pressing. This involved laying the accused down and then placing boards on top of them and adding weights until the accused entered a plea to the charge in question. Corey allegedly died while asking for more weights to be added. Owing to the hysteria and spread of the accusations from those at the bottom of society to those at the top, coupled with the condemnation of spectral evidence by academics, the witch trial courts were eventually dissolved. Those in prison at the time were pardoned and then released in 1693. The courts would later deem the trials unlawful and legislation would later be passed clearing the names of those who had been wrongfully convicted. There are countless theories as to why the witch trials in Salem came to be. The harsh realities of life in the rural Puritan community of Salem Village, including a recent smallpox epidemic, fears of attacks from Native Americans and rivalry within the community, may have created an environment that was conducive to what eventually took place. Others believe that the accusations of witchcraft were a product of those at the top of the Puritan society wanting to eliminate those who refused to follow their way of doing things. What started off as accusations against the marginalised in society quickly spread to accusations of witchcraft at those at the top and only then did the trials come to an end. Reports suggest that between 1692 and 1693 more than 200 people were accused of practising witchcraft. The accused may have been the victims of a mob mentality, mass hysteria or scapegoating. 20 of those ultimately paid the price, which was death.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that little rundown of the Salem Witch Trials. Um, truthfully, a lot of this was completely new to me, um, being from Ireland, of course, and not really knowing the ins and outs of everything that took place. But Salem has always been a place for me that I've wanted to visit for years and years, and hopefully one day I'll get the chance to visit. But I want to visit for that reason alone, that historically it's it's a fascinating place, but in terms of what actually took place as well, it's it's good to physically see and be in the area that it was, just to, to get an idea and a feel of, of what actually happened there. Um, I do want to mention though that as, as great as it is to look at this sort of, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, multiple hundreds of years later, 20 innocent people ultimately lost their lives, not including those who died in prison waiting. So I did read somewhere that tens of thousands of people were killed across Europe during the witch hunts there, so thankfully it wasn't uh, nearly as intense as, as what it was. Um, for those curious though, the last witch trials in Europe took place in Switzerland, of all places, in 1782. In fact, I think I read somewhere that witch trials sort of started there as well, so what, what a way to finish. Um, but yeah, in 1782 a woman was beheaded for sorcery. Um, now in fairness, in 2007, some 200 plus years after she was executed, the Swiss Parliament had acknowledged that she had been the victim of a miscarriage of justice and had been subjected to an illegal trial. And she was therefore exonerated so there you go obviously a case of too little too late but it's good to know that her name has been cleared eventually and that's us for episode one i do want to thank you though for sticking around if you've made it this far this is my first ever podcast so um it's been a bit of a journey a bit of a roller coaster trying to trying to edit this and trying to put it together and research everything so hopefully it was enjoyable it was enjoyable for me making it so um hopefully you get the same benefit from it the plan is to put an episode out every Friday, so if you feel like joining next week, um, you know where to find us, the same place you find this one. But thank you again for your time though, and enjoy the, the day, and thanks again. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>